So I want to continue our um, study here about becoming an apostolic people. Uh, the last couple of weeks I've shared two messages. We're going to call this part three, becoming an apostolic people. We're going to begin in Acts chapter 11. And I want to look at a church called Antioch. Would you say Antioch? There is a great reformation that is sweeping the body of Christ and so many people are waking up to the reality that we have built the house of the Lord according to our own desires. Um, quite frankly, we have taken a permission and a liberty with the house of God that the God of the house did not give us. We have built things and ministries and done things that don't actually have the substance and the character of Jesus in them. Hello. And God is bringing reformation to his body. The answer for religion is not revival. The answer for religion and dead religious tradition is reformation. It is a systemic change and we need a new wineskin as a church. We need a new revelation of who God is and what he is building. Uh, Jesus said that the gates of hell will not prevail against his church, right? But that's only the church that Jesus is building. He said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail. You know how many people are out there claiming that hell won't prevail against us, but because Jesus didn't build the house, hell will prevail against you? You can't just throw out the words of Jesus and stamp them on your life or your ministry. You actually have to obey and follow him and submit to his word. So I fear that we as a church, especially in this nation, have quite literally made stuff up. And, and, and we've invented things and we've come up with carnal ways of doing ministry that God doesn't recognize and He doesn't honor. And therefore we have what looks like more like a, a rotary club or a country club than it does the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so what God is coming to do is He's coming to take back His church. Like He actually wants His body to be a reflection of Him who is the head, Jesus. Amen? Alright, I'm going to pray because we're a little sleepy this morning, which is good for you because I always get a little riled up when I feel like there's pushback and resistance. So let's pray and let's go to the Lord. Father, I'm asking in Jesus' name that you would awaken us right now. God, I'm praying, Holy Spirit, that you would stir afresh and anew. Lord, would you come and break through the silence and the apathy that is in this room? Would you awaken our hearts and stir us? God, we're praying right now and asking and calling upon your name. Because we need help this morning. Would you cause us to go vertical? Would you cause us to lock eyes with you? Lord, we don't need more programs and strategies and plans of man. We need a revelation of who you are. So would you open the eyes and enlighten our hearts to see you? We ask for a spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of who you are. Lord, we're praying that you would be magnified. That you would be glorified. That you would be rightly seen and honored. 
that we might live our lives centered around you and not centered around ourselves. Oh God, would you deliver us from our feelings this morning? Would you break up all the hard ground in us that wants to live as victims and feel sorry for ourselves when there is one seated on the throne who is worthy, who is holy. Lord, you are righteous. Open our eyes to see you, God. Would you illuminate your word? Would it cut us, pierce us, change us, and bring us into deeper revelation and knowledge of who you are? It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Here we are in Acts 11. I'm going to begin in verse 19 reading about the church in Antioch. We're discussing becoming an apostolic people. The first section was about the ministry of Jesus, our apostle. The second section that we taught through was about the ministry of apostles today. And this third section is about the ministry of apostolic churches. And I will clarify and explain what all this means. But I'm just going to tell you from Jump Street that an apostolic church and an American church are worlds apart. Actually, the American church is missing the divine grace that God has given apostles. In other words, the body of Christ is over-pastored and under-fathered. Which is why we have entire ministries that are built on making people feel good and feel pampered. And if I don't leave encouraged, then it wasn't God. Because our palate for truth is so small that if it doesn't make me feel good, it can't be God. But how many of you know if you have a a fatal disease, if you have something working in your body that's going to destroy you and kill you, you're going to have to go through some pain to get healed. And the body of Christ needs to go through some painful exercises in order to get cleansed, in order to get healed, in order to get the cancer of entertainment cut out of all of our hearts. So God doesn't want us to gather and seek to be entertained. He wants us to be equipped. Amen. Amen. The church in Antioch, Acts 11, verse 19, Luke the physician writes, So then those who were scattered... Because of the persecution that arose in connection with Stephen, made their way to Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch, speaking the word to no one except to Jews alone. But there were some of them, men of Cyprus and Cyrene, who came to Antioch and began speaking to the Greeks also, preaching the Lord Jesus." And the hand of the Lord was with them, and a large number who believed turned to the Lord. And the news about them reached the ears of the church at Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas off to Antioch. So what are we looking at here? There's persecution that's breaking out. Did you know that where there's no persecution that apathy grows? We don't have a persecution problem in America. We have an apathy addiction, yes? So because none of us are really paying a high price to follow Jesus, none of you feared for your lives to attend this meeting today. There's not much of a threat upon our businesses or our livelihoods yet. Because there's not much of a price to pay, what you have is a lot of converts that aren't real disciples. In other words, we're trying to train and equip you in such a way at our Father's house that if somebody asked you to pay the ultimate price and suffer and die and be martyred, 
martyred for Jesus that you would say thank you for this promotion. I'm going to be in heaven with him forever because the blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church. And where there's persecution, the church actually grows and gets healthier. Because it grows in real discipleship. We, we need more persecution. And I'm not wishing darkness upon our nation. But I can tell you that as the price tag for following Jesus increases, we're going to find out who really belongs to him. Did you know that COVID-19, that there are people that have never even come back into fellowship because they realize, I like sitting on the couch anyway? Because this is what's comfortable for me. I mean, guys, we live in Indiana, yes? Well, are, are we meeting today? It's cold. Well, I, I don't know what temperature it is in here, but it's warm enough for us to sit here and worship and read the Word of God, right? I, but we're full of excuses and apathy. We, we struggle to even show up places on time. I'm going to talk to you this morning because we lack honor and reverence for what God is doing. I promise you one thing. If you really believe that the Lord Jesus Christ risen from the dead was going to be here and he was going to share a word with you, you wouldn't show up past whatever the time was. And some of us don't show up that late to work all the time, I know, because you'd get fired. This is because our priorities are off. This is because comfort by nature is seductive. And we are all being seduced by the comfort of our American lives. So how do we break out of the comfort? How do we get into some uncomfortable things? And how do we say yes to following Jesus and taking up our cross, denying ourselves that he might be rightly seen and honored? I just want to remind you that the Lord Jesus warned his disciples every time about the price tag of what it would cost to follow him. He actually encouraged them to count the cost before they made an effort to walk his way. So our, our mode of discipleship has to be challenging people, not just comforting them and coddling them. Amen? Are you ready for biblical discipleship? So look at what they were preaching. Verse 20. It says, they, they went to Antioch. They began speaking to the Greeks also. What were they doing? Preaching the Lord Jesus. Now hold on a minute. You might have missed it. It doesn't say they were preaching about the Lord Jesus. They were preaching the Lord Jesus. You can talk about what. Or you can talk about who. You can sing about what. Or you can sing who. You can engage him or you can talk about him. They were preaching the Lord Jesus. Apostolic preaching manifests Christ in such a powerful way that there's not what's the message, it's who's the message and they embody the message so that Christ would be rightly seen and honored everywhere they go. Did you know that this is the desire of God for each of our lives? So that when people are around you, you're preaching the Lord Jesus? You're not just talking about Him. Your life is preaching the Lord Jesus. Like my life is a sermon that's constantly being preached. 
and it points to Jesus Christ. So that the essence and the character and the nature of who he is, that people are left with an impression and a demonstration of who God is when they're around me. So they were preaching the Lord Jesus. They weren't just talking about God. More on that in just a second. The hand of the Lord was with them. Verse 21, a large number who believed turned to the Lord. Did you notice that in order for their belief to be real, they had to turn to the Lord? Don't miss it. We have a whole bunch of people that are believers that never turn to the Lord. Oh, They believe in a God or God. I believe in God. Well, have you turned to the Lord? Because in order to turn to the Lord, I'm going to have to turn from some things. We have created an entire generation of Christians who don't actually know Christ at all. They just have the right language and the right words and they're mimicking something that's not real to them. When you believe, you've got to turn to the Lord. You've got to turn away from sin and turn to Jesus and begin to cling to Him and begin to fellowship with Him so that God can actually rearrange and change your heart and your life. We have a desire problem. We have an appetite problem. And all of this is the result of apathetic living that says all you have to do is believe. I hear it in worship songs. I hear it in preaching and teaching. Y'all, I've heard it at national meetings. You just have to believe. Well, what does that mean? Do any of you believe in rainbows? You believe in them? I believe in them. I've seen them. Does whether or not there's a rainbow out change anything about your life or your day or how you feel? Maybe a little bit. Oh, that's beautiful. Oh, thank you, Lord. Oh, and I'm aware who comes to mind when we talk about rainbows. Because the enemy wants to hijack the promises of God. Does it have any effect on your life? Can I tell you that for a lot of people that God's just as significant as a rainbow? He might as well be a unicorn. Whether he exists or doesn't actually exist, there's no turning to the Lord. Real repentance calls people out of and into. You're going to have to come out of some things. In other words, you've got a former manner of life and way of living. I heard somebody testify and said, when I got saved, I lost half my vocabulary. It's a funny comment, but what what happened? I turned to the Lord. Oh, when I was a child, I thought like a child, acted like a child, reasoned like a child. But now that I've put away childish things, now that I've grown up, and now that I'm following Him, all these things are no longer a part of my life. So I like to teach people, you know you've really been born again when you love things you used to hate and hate things you used to love. Show me some things that you love that you used to hate. Show me some things that you now hate that are despicable to you that you used to absolutely love. You just might be born again. So turn to the Lord. If you're far from God this morning, turn to the Lord. If you've been straying in your life, turn to the Lord. If you are going through a difficult valley, turn to the Lord. Turn to Him. He's waiting for us. He loves us. He's inviting us in. But you got to say yes to the invitation. 
And the news about them reached the ears of the church at Jerusalem. And they sent Barnabas off. Would you say sent? They sent Barnabas off to Antioch. Then when he had come and witnessed the grace of God. Verse 23. He rejoiced and began to encourage them all with resolute heart to remain true to the Lord. So now that you've turned, remain there. Now that you've turned, don't go back. Now that you've turned, don't entertain things from your former way of living. You got to get some new friends. You got to delete some phone numbers. You might need to get off social media completely. You've got to make efforts to follow Jesus and deny yourself and take up His cross. Why? Because we all want resurrection life and power without crucifixion death. What we've preached in America is a gospel that offers people the promises and the benefits without the sacrifice and obedience that God Himself requires. We treat people like, yeah, just say yes today and you'll have all the benefits and all that. And it's like, y'all, you still have to bear fruit in keeping with repentance. If you repented 15 years ago and then backslid and you still smell and look like the world, you need to get your life in check and look, take a hard look that does my life reflect reflect. Christ. Am I preaching the Lord Jesus or am I preaching myself? Are you all here today? Notice that Barnabas witnessed the grace of God. In other words, the grace of God looks like something. How do you witness the grace of God? Grace isn't like some ethereal concept. and No, it says of the church in Acts 4 that great grace was upon them. Grace manifests. Grace is revealed. You know how you can tell that the grace of God is mighty on a person's life or in a community when people are turning away from sin and turning to the Lord? This is not a mystery. Some churches are sleeping. Some churches are awake. Some churches are on fire. Some churches are the wet blanket brethren. Hello. You've got to turn to the Lord and the grace of God. He witnessed it on them. Why? Because the grace of God is the supernatural power. It is the imbibing of the spirit. It is the empowerment of God that causes us to turn from sin and turn to Jesus. Are you all here today? This is grace. This is Bible 101. We have overemphasized the pardon of grace to the exclusion of God's power and grace. If your definition of grace doesn't lead you away from sin, you are playing with hell's flames. Shall I continue in sin that grace might increase? No. It says, God forbid, may ganointo, may it never be. Spit at the thought of the grace of God enabling me to continue in my sin. Now when you get born again, everything changes. We need to resurrect the gospel where you don't look the same because you encountered Christ. Because you left behind some things. Because you saw the treasure hidden in the field. And you were willing to sell all to buy that treasure. 
We used to sing hymns about the treasure of God, about the worth of God, the value of God. And now I fear that we like to sing songs about ourselves. I don't want to hear more about me. I'm actually fed up with me. Are you tired of you? Uh, I, I, I stopped looking in here for something and started locking eyes with him and everything changed. I don't need self-help. I need to be crucified with Christ. For he was a good man. Verse 24, Luke writing about Barnabas. He was full of the Holy Spirit and of faith. And considerable numbers were brought to the Lord. And he left for Tarsus to look for Saul. And when he had found him, he brought him to Antioch. And it came about that for an entire year they met with the church and taught considerable numbers. And the disciples were first called Christians in Antioch. So Barnabas, as an apostle, stirred up by the Holy Spirit, leaves what God is doing in Antioch, goes into Tarsus, where Saul or Paul is from, and he brings Saul out of Tarsus and relocates him to Antioch because more apostolic help is needed for what God is doing in Antioch. So I want you just to notice the ministry of Barnabas. Remember, I gave you 15 functions about apostles today. You can watch the teaching or, or listen to it later if you, this is your first time. But notice that the ministry of Barnabas includes activation. It includes mobilization where he is actually being sent out and Paul, Saul, is being sent, being brought back. There's collaboration. Are they working together here? And God blesses them working together, yes? Part of the reformation in the body of Christ is that the Lord is bringing down man-made hierarchies. He is restoring team leadership to His church. I mean, everybody gets their panties in a wad, but nobody can prove me wrong that there's no senior pastor in the Bible. And that we've all been trained and brainwashed to walk into a church and say, who's the senior pastor? Jesus is the senior pastor. He's the chief shepherd. We're here for him and we're following him as he leads us to green grass and potable waters. Biblical government is elders, plural. It's team. It involves accountability. It involves preferring and deferring and honoring one another. And that's safety and that's the accountability that we need in the body of Christ. Perhaps we've seen the destruction and the immorality and all the garbage that we've been through because we're still trying to do church our way and not God's way. Good morning. Keep reading. Verse 27. Now at this time, some prophets, notice the plurality of prophets, came down from Jerusalem to Antioch. Now the prophets are mobilized. God's moving in Antioch. We're leaving Jerusalem. We're going to take a trip and we're going to go to Antioch and see how the grace of God is manifesting. Verse 28, one of them named Agabus stood up and began to indicate by the Spirit that there would certainly be a great famine all over the world. And this took place in the reign of Claudius. 
And in the proportion that any of the disciples had means, each of them determined to send a contribution for the relief of the brothers living in Judea. And this they did, sending it in charge of Barnabas and Saul to the elders. So what you're witnessing here is the prophetic and the apostolic working together to meet a legitimate crisis in Judea. There's a famine and God mobilizes the ministries of apostles and prophets to help the church in Judea, which just literally means the land of the Jews. They're collaborating, they're working together as a team, they're being sent out, there's movement. When you are used to religion, what you are indoctrinated to think about is our church and how does this benefit us? And you develop an us against them mentality that stinks in the nostrils of God. The reason why churches don't work together is because pastors are jealous of each other. The reason why you can't refer someone else to another ministry or promote other people is because we have invented a form of ministry that is about getting as many people as possible to depend on us. I'm here to share with you the sobering truth that millions of Christians in this nation have a vicarious relationship with God through their pastor. They don't actually know God for themselves. They would walk away if their pastor failed. Do we see this? Oh, but it's funny that the same people that, that get mad at this, they, they defend it, but they've been damaged and they've been hurt by it. Y'all, what we have is not working. We need a shift. We need a change. We need reformation at a systemic level where we are building the house of the Lord according to the pattern and not according to popularity. If you want to build biblically, it's harder. It takes longer. It takes training and teaching and confronting. Why have we believed these things about God and His church? Where did I even get the notion that if it's longer than an hour, then I, I need to go? I, I got, it's amazing what happens to people. It's like noon strikes and all of a sudden, oh man. Well, what, what time does service end? Well, when the Lord releases us. And if you need to go, God bless you, but I'm here, I'm here for the presence. I don't want to miss what he's doing. Oh, you've got family coming in town. Well, we'll see you tonight, maybe. What if God moves and says, hey, we're going to have a service tonight, and we're, you bring your family. You say, hey, you're coming. God's moving. You need to get delivered from your demons and your pornography, Uncle Joel. Because I'm going to preach Christ to you. Because I love you enough to tell you the truth. Well, don't get me started on family. We all just survived the holidays, didn't we? Where we're told that love means we tolerate darkness because we have the same last name. Now you ain't influencing my kids. Because my mother and my brothers are those that do the will of God. Is that what Jesus said? Am I preaching Christ? 
So the prophetic and the apostolic are working together. And Agabus, a prophet, indicates what's about to happen. So much for prophetic ministry that doesn't actually tell you anything. I mean, I read these prophecies and it's like, today's going to be a good day. That's not prophecy, that's positivity. There were specific instructions and there were action items. And by the way, Agabus didn't say there's going to be a famine and there was actually an earthquake. And Agabus said, oh, that's what I meant. Now, if you got the word of the Lord, it'll come to pass. And you don't have to stretch to fit and to change. And to, no, no, listen, if, if God's speaking, then God tells the truth always, yes? Amen. Prophetic that's full of manipulation and control is from the pit of hell. Apostles, father, and found. This is their role in the body of Christ. Prophets forewarn and foretell. We need both. Would you like to be forewarned? Would you like to know what God is up to? We need the fathering, founding, foretelling, and forewarning ministries of apostles and prophets today. Go to Acts 13. Let's keep reading about Antioch. And there's more about Antioch in Acts 14, but I'm going to try to stay on assignment this morning. Acts 13, verse 1. Now there were at Antioch, in the church that was there, prophets and teachers, Barnabas and Simeon, who was called Niger, and Lucius of Cyrene and Menaean, who had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch and Saul. I just want you to notice, we understand that Saul is an apostle, yes? According to Acts 14.14, Barnabas is an apostle, yes? So at the church in Antioch, we have apostles, prophets, and teachers. Are you all here? They didn't have a senior pastor and a deacon board and a a welcoming committee. They had apostles, prophets, and teachers at the church in Antioch. Now... What are apostles, prophets, and teachers, and of course the body, the church, the assembly there, what were they up to? What were they doing? What consumed them? Just read it with me. Verse 2. While they were ministering to the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work To which I have called them. Then when they had fasted and prayed. And laid their hands on them. They sent them away. So being sent out by the Holy Spirit. They went down to Seleucia. And from there they sailed to Cyprus. What were they doing at Antioch? They were ministering to the Lord. What are we addicted to in America? Ministering to each other. We have almost no revelation or concept of ministering to the Lord in the church today. 
It is so foreign to us that what I'm about to tell you, I pray to God that light bulbs go off inside of you. The thought that as a church we exist to minister to the Lord and to move the heart of God is almost completely lost on us and all we are left with is ministering to people. We have entire ministries that their mission statement is they exist to help people. They are Christian charities. They are not God-ordained churches. Apostolic churches minister to the Lord because they recognize we exist for Him. The needs of people needs to get out of the driver's seat and stop manipulating the church's direction. The needs of people actually go in the back seat. They're important. People are important to God. But they don't drive the bus. When churches make it their mission to meet the needs of people in a primary way, the presence of God gets neglected. The Lord Himself gets ignored. When you understand what it means to minister to the Lord, you don't talk about God, you talk to God. You don't sing about God, you sing to God. Y'all, we need to get Jesus out of the tomb. Our meetings are more like funerals. Why? When you anybody ever been to a funeral? Raise your hand. Come on, participate with me this morning. We're a little stiff. I'm I'm just getting started breaking you up. You've been to a funeral, right? You're at a funeral because what happened? Someone died. It's not a trick question. You're at a funeral because someone died. And what do we do when we attend their funeral? Who do we talk about? And how do we talk about them? In the third person. Like they're not there because they're gone. Here we are. We're here to celebrate Jimmy. And we talk about Jimmy. If you talk to Jimmy, you're in trouble. Right? Because Jimmy's dead. Don't talk to the dead. I'm serious. But we don't talk to the dead. We talk to the one who is risen, who's seated on the throne. We don't have to talk about Jesus. We can talk to Him. We can sing to Him, minister to Him, and move His heart and watch the power of God break out in our midst. But I think most services are like funerals. And by the way, everybody in the audience looks dead. (laughs) My coffee. I could just, I'm so uncomfortable right now. We're, we're, yeah, no, we're not just talking about a theory of God. We're ministering to Him. We're locking eyes with Him. Worship reveals who can see and who can't. I observe people in worship not because my heart is to criticize or to judge, but I want to know who can see Jesus and who can't. Because I'm not just waiting for another song about God. I want to close my eyes and worship the one who is invisible and yet fills all things. Because my heart has been illuminated. I've got revelation. 
The difference between revelation and information is one is about God and one is unto God. When Christ is revealed, you know Him for yourself. We've got to restore ministry to the Lord in the church. I'm going to challenge you. Some of us are avoiding prayer in a corporate sense because we don't know how to minister to the Lord. Because we're afraid of our boredom and our distracted minds that wants to get purified. That God wants to cleanse. This is why we'll show up for teaching. Teaching is about God and we need it, yes? But show up for prayer? What are we going to do? We're going to pray. We're going to seek the Lord. It was Leonard Ravenhill, one of my all-time favorite quotes. He said that Sunday morning tells you how popular the church is. Sunday night service tells you how popular the pastor is. And the prayer meeting tells you how popular God is. Prayer is the hardest thing to market in the church. Why? Because we're just trying to get you to show up for God. Like, just seek His face. I don't want to sound like a Nazi, but you can drink coffee later and you can talk later. They have people that come up and it's like, well, let's have a conversation. I'm like, we're ministering to the Lord right now. We're praying and we're seeking His face. You and I have each other's phone number. Can we talk about it later? Because His presence is my priority. Because I need the presence of God and I need to seek His face. I need to connect with my Father. If I don't connect with my Father, I have nothing to say. Do you all know Abraham Lincoln? Mitchell, I'm going to pick on you because I know I can count on you for historical facts and information. Do you know Abraham Lincoln? Okay. Mitchell knows Abraham Lincoln. Mitchell, tell this holy congregation a few things about Abraham Lincoln. He was the 16th president of the United States, elected in 1860, served um, one term in office, and then was assassinated in his second, 1865. Thank you. Everybody give this man a hand. On April 15, 1865, he was shot in Ford Theater. He was assassinated. You don't know Abraham Lincoln. You know about Abraham Lincoln. None of y'all ever met Abraham Lincoln, yes? We know about him. Y'all, this is what we do to God. I know about Jesus. Do you know Jesus? See, because when you just know stuff about God and your head is packed full of information, when things get hard, you run. But when you've got real revelation knowledge, when things get difficult, you go into the presence of the Lord. Father, help me. Because you know the Father for yourself. I said earlier that people are living vicariously through their pastor. It's the truth. We show up, tell me something about God. And this is why the collision is so real in the church today. Because you have ministries that don't just want to be a lily pad for people to come in and sit down. We're meant to be a launching pad where you get trained and equipped. Know God for yourself. I mean, think with me through a familiar passage real fast. God gave some to be apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, and teachers, right? It's Ephesians 4.11. Why did he give the five ministries? For the equipping of the saints for the work of for the work of ministry. But almost everybody thinks that that means the fivefold is given to teach you how to minister to you. I just proved it to you. I'm going to equip you and you're going to learn how to... No. 
We're going to start by, we're going to equip you to minister to God. The fivefold ministry is given in the earth to equip the saints for the work of ministry, to minister to the Lord. So that we could move his heart so that you would have eyes to see and ears to hear what the Spirit is saying to the church. Are you all tracking with me? I know it's a shift, but we've made ministry all about us because we're addicted to me. We need deliverance from me. The greatest deliverance that God can do in our lives is help us to get over ourselves. I don't need another seven step to mitigate this sin issue in my life. I need the cross of Christ to set me free by the blood of Jesus. And I, by the way, just completely reject the notion that pastoring is about coddling and comforting people because I know some real fivefold pastors that will chew you out in Jesus' name, that will confront you in your sin and your darkness. Real fivefold shepherds are going to confront you as you head to the rattlesnake's den. We've got some real pastors in this church who are planning on and praying about pastoring y'all. Not coddling you, not comforting you, not looking the other way and winking at sin. I didn't see Jesus, the good shepherd, do that. We need a restoration of pastoral ministry. Real pastors practice Matthew 18 and say, hey man, your walk doesn't match your talk. So either shut up or repent. Our walk should match our talk, yes? We don't need any more inconsistency in the body of Christ. We don't need any more hypocrisy. We need authenticity. We need reality. So while they're ministering to the Lord, and by the way, I'm going to give this to you as homework. I'm not going to go into it because I'll get completely derailed. But read Ezekiel 44. Go ahead and write that down or make a note on your phone. Read Ezekiel 44. And the only thing I want you to notice there is that there's biblical precedent for those who are allowed to minister to people, but then those, the sons of Zadok, who have not defiled themselves, they're permitted to minister to the Lord. We have made the privilege of ministry about ministering to people, and that's not the priority. It's about ministering to God. Almost the entirety of my biblical education was about learning how to minister to people. I feel so robbed. What if we had training centers and equipping centers and ministry schools that taught people how to minister to God? Because if you know God, you'll have something to say to the needs of people. But you can get so obsessed with what people need that it ends up driving the direction of your life and your ministry. Please don't misunderstand me. This isn't that God doesn't want to meet the needs of His people. He does. But it's not the priority. It doesn't get to drive. It doesn't get to steer the boat. Amen? God wants to be first. He's taking His church back. Maybe what you need for your addiction isn't another three years of counseling. Maybe you just need to see Jesus high and lifted up, the train of his robe filling the temple. Maybe the reason why you're addicted to that thing is because you're searching for something beautiful and you just haven't seen the beautiful one yet. And when he captivates your heart, all that other stuff will fade away. Oh, could it be that simple? Only people I've ever seen get free are those that didn't care what anybody thought. 
They were tired of keeping up with appearances and, and impressing people, which is all religion does to you, by the way. What's everybody going to think? You know what real kingdom says? What does father think? We've become so good at making people comfortable that the Holy Ghost can't even move. I mean, God wants to move His church and He can't even budget. Some of y'all heard me. He can't even budget. B-U-D-G-E-T. Budget. He can't even move His church because God moving's not in the budget. Hello? Oh, we can't afford. No, you can't afford not to obey the Lord. So they were set apart, Saul and Barnabas, for the specific cause to which the Lord had called them. They were set apart for an apostolic assignment. I want you to notice something. If you will yield your life fully to Him, the Holy Spirit will put you to work. You want to know what your purpose is? Why am I here? What am I supposed to be doing? Start by yielding your whole life to Him. I promise you the harvest is plentiful, the laborers are few. But God wants you to be a pure laborer. He wants you to be a holy laborer. He doesn't want you to go out there and profane His name and bring shame to His kingdom. If you will yield your life fully and completely to Him, God will use you. But He wants to transform us first. Our character is the priority. And God is grounding and rooting His body again. And that how you live your life matters. And how you treat your wife matters. And how you father and mother your kids matters to the Lord. Because my relationship horizontally is a reflection of my relationship vertically. Don't tell me that you just love God and you speak in tongues and you can still cuss people out. Why? Because enough guile and anger and venom hasn't been driven out of you yet. Anybody signing up for the crucified life? I am. Because there's real power in it. I'm telling you, it really works. You won't find it at the end of the bottle, at the end of the pills. You, you can't find it in this life. It's all deception. It's all lies. It's all to get you to destroy yourself. How many people, if they could go back, they would never touch the drink? If they, they, they would never. Now you've got to battle temptation in your life that you never should have had to fight off because you opened doors. I want to raise my kids where they don't have to fight 15 million temptations because they never opened the door to the devil because they were raised in the house of the Lord. Because they were raised to know and look at the Spirit and not a screen. We are pacifying our children with entertainment, yes? What if what they need isn't for... Them to watch another show, it's to hear mommy and daddy pray. And get broken before the Lord. What if what they need to see is you giving money to the poor? Or you supporting what God is doing in your church? Or what? We need examples. We, they need to see the reality. Your children know whether you're fake or not. 
You can fool everybody else outside your house, but they know if it's real. Wow, it's nice to see mommy raise her hands and cry on Sunday, but then she's really, really mean and ugly the rest of the week. That ain't Christianity. That's not real transformation. That's excuses. Notice verse 3. When they had fasted and prayed and laid their hands on them. What does that say? They sent them away. So who sent them away? The body, right? They? Yes? All right, we're down to like 30% participation. They sent them away. Yes, that's what happened. What does verse 4 say? Who sent who away? Oh, you don't say. So which was it? Was it the Holy Spirit or was it the people? It was both. Why? Because we have to get an agreement with what God is saying. The church in Antioch had to partner with what the Lord was saying. Separate unto me Saul and Barnabas for the work to which I've called them. They fast, they pray, they laid their hands on them, and they sent them out. Do the work of the Lord. They were in agreement and alignment with what the Holy Spirit was saying. Do you know how many people have real gifts and grace on their lives and they are trapped in the possession of religion? And I'm so grateful that we don't experience this in this house, but y'all, I meet them everywhere I travel where people are quite literally stuck where they're at. They have a bigger call. They have a greater anointing. But because religion is so possessive, it's like, no. You cannot fulfill the call of God. You're supposed to tell me who God is. You have people that they're, they're literally, religion makes you possessive. It makes you possessive of your leaders and it makes leaders possessive of the people. Everybody belongs to God, yes? So separate unto me Saul and Barnabas to the work to which I've called them. They sent them out. They didn't release them. They didn't let them go. They sent them and they blessed them. This is why your prayers are so meaningful to me because I know that you're sending me in your heart. I know that you're believing for breakthrough and increase and the kingdom to manifest when I'm gone. You know why? My heart is still right here. I spent all of 2023 almost on my knees repenting to the Lord in different places saying, Father, I don't even really want to be here. I never even wanted to be in ministry. But if this is what you want for my life, then help me to want to do this. Put your desires in my heart. I don't like leaving my kids. I don't enjoy my sons crying because daddy's not going to be home. But it's a sacrifice that we make to advance the kingdom of God. What if the best thing that my sons need because God knows my children is they need to see their dad fulfill the call of God because they've got the call of God on them too. What if the father will father them in my absence? What if he'll love them through his body? Do you trust God for it all or not? So they laid hands on them. The laying on of hands is New Testament order. They didn't say, sounds good, see ya. They laid their hands, they fasted, they prayed. When we ordain, 
elders and deacons. When we say, it's the recognition. It's a divine commissioning. It's a divine authorization of heaven to earth that God has spoken and God has chosen these things. So I want to tell you that when we ordain our elders here, Mitchell, Austin, and Ben, on Sunday, February 4th, that's in two weeks, you will see apostolic and prophetic ministries lay hands on these men of God and set them into order in the house of the Lord because we're not free to make stuff up and that's what the Word of God teaches, so we're going to do it. And by the way, it's way more than a ceremony because when you get hands laid on you, I'm telling you everything changes. When you get hands laid on you and there's real power and anointing and conviction that comes upon you, things can greatly change and increase. All right, let's talk about the ministry of apostolic churches. And by the way, the celebration is February 7th on Wednesday. And we want you to be there if you're a part of the fam. We'd love to have you celebrate what God is doing here. So let's look at, I'm going to give you 10 of these as we discuss the ministry of apostolic churches. Hopefully you have a great blueprint so far from Antioch. Number one is to minister to the Lord and exalt Christ over everything. Where His presence is the ultimate priority, the needs of people are secondary. Pastoral ministry is centered on the needs of people, which is good. Are y'all hearing me say that we need to meet people's needs? I'm not at all suggesting we ignore people or tell people to just get over it. That's not the heart of God. In Acts chapter 6, we see this play out beautifully. There's a need, but the apostles are not going to be distracted by the need. They're going to prioritize the word and prayer. Because that's the assignment of God. They're going to assign others to meet the need that is presented so that everybody wins. Because when you think kingdom, you think about multiplication and you think about a greater, deeper reach. But when you're stuck in religion, it's all about how does this affect me and influence me. Where We have to get broken from thinking about ourselves and thinking about the call and the glory of Jesus. So apostolic ministries will minister to the Lord. They'll exalt Christ over everything. I would suggest to you that apostolic and prophetic grace is not really active in a community if the prayer meetings aren't healthy. Because apostles and prophets are given to the place of prayer because the grace on their life demands it and their influence on the body is so that you recognize that you demand it as well and you need it too. So apostles and prophets actually open people's eyes to see their need for God which drives them to the place of prayer. Does that make sense? So you'll have people, prophets in the body of Christ like Corey Russell or like Lou Engel, who they are people of prayer. They're going to stir the meeting in the house to the place of prayer. Lou Engel has given himself to more fasting and prayer than I could ever dream of. The prophetic on his life, the fasting, the, the anointing of the Lord. Does anybody know Lou Engel? Look him up. Corey Russell. I'm just, just spitballing here. But ministry to the Lord is important because if we neglect Him, then we neglect the whole purpose and reason for gathering. We're not assembling to be entertained. We're gathering to seek His face and watch what God will do. 
Because here's what happens. When you prioritize his presence, everybody gets their needs met. Because what we all need is him. I heard of a ministry that was overrun by the needs of people and counseling. And they were like, oh God, how do we do this? We're completely overloaded. There's just dozens and dozens and dozens of people that need counseling and want counseling. And God spoke to that leadership and gave them an idea. And said, tell the people to spend one hour in prayer. And once they spend an hour in prayer, then they can come for counseling. And all of a sudden, the counseling load was cut by over half. Why? Because when we have an issue, we want to talk to somebody else rather than God. Hey, come hear some more about my problem. You need to get connected to the source. Yo, I can't help you. Other people can't really help you unless they have wisdom or a word from the Lord. It all comes from Him. I think we've made ministry about, can you solve my problems? I'm like, I got enough problems on my own. But this is why American ministry is failing because we put so much pressure on one person. We, we put them on a pedestal, we raise them all the way to the top, and then we won't be honest about it, but I will, we worship them. We, we just can't, no, no, no. We don't worship people, we worship God. We honor people. We don't worship them. We can honor the gift of God in someone's life or the work of the Spirit in someone's life without crossing the threshold into worshiping them and depending on them. What you depend on, you worship. Number two. Ministry of apostolic churches is devotion to apostolic teaching. Fellowship, breaking of bread, and prayer. This is right out of Acts 2.42. What did the early church do as the power of the Holy Spirit was poured out? They didn't say, oh wow, how can we market this? God's really doing something incredible. You know what would be great? Is if we could just replicate this moment everywhere. Maybe we could get Peter up on a screen all over Judea. Peter, could you just do that again? No, the disciples started making disciples. The reason why I'll never end up on a screen in multiple campuses is because I would view that as a failure of my leadership to reproduce Christ in others. Some men and women of God don't even know it, but they're broadcasting their own ministry failure. You're telling me that somebody else, that someone else, that there aren't other people that can know God and care and can equip and can train and can preach? But the whole thing's built on you and when you die it all fades and it all passes and we all cry. And then we don't cry long enough to not do it again though. We just go follow the next big one. I'm not against influence. I'm not against people with large ministries whatsoever. God may have given them that large influence and that large ministry. But the whole point isn't for production. It's for reproduction. You're an apostle. Show me your sons. You're supposed to be a father in the body of Christ. Are you surrounded by infants in a nursery? Or do you have lieutenants and commanders for an army of the Lord? 
Well, you know what? People aren't waiting to turn a certain age and all of a sudden become fatherly or motherly. We have people growing up. I want to see my teenagers and 20-year-olds. I want to see them get it. I want our boys to be ready when they're 18 to love and serve and care for their family. Because we're not raising boys, we're raising men. The objective is totally different. If I'm raising a boy, then I just want you to be dependent on mommy and daddy as long as possible. But if I'm raising sons, if I'm raising real daughters, then honey, sweetheart, I want you to know Jesus for yourself. I'm here to teach you, train you, equip you. You're going to learn how to tithe when you're a kid. You're going to learn how to serve. You're going to show up and be a part of the body of Christ. You're going to learn how to worship. Yes, you're going to stand. Oh, don't get me started. People are like, oh, my kids didn't want to come to church. Did, did you say your kids or your, your adults you live with? No, if they're your children, then they're given to you as a charge. Then they're allotted to you and they're a stewardship. We don't own our kids. Trust me, we ain't having a debate about what you get to do. No, you do whatever you want when you get out of my house and you can feed yourself. But for now, I'm going to be your father and we go to the house of the Lord and we serve and we worship and we give. Because this is what men of God do. But we're afraid to model and be an example because well, we, we don't want to trample on our kids' feelings. You're supposed to teach them life ain't all about your feelings. I don't feel like it sometimes, but praise God, I'm following the truth. That's right. If you're waiting to just feel it all the time, your marriage will perish. Love is a choice. I choose to love you. I choose to be committed to this relationship. And therefore, because I've chosen Taylor, I have no other options. Like not even a, a message. Or, no, because my heart is faithful. Amen. Devoted to apostolic teaching. Something about what I just said has something to do with that. <laughs> the breaking of bread... Is not eating food. It is the body and blood. It is the Lord's Supper. Later in Acts 2, it says they were taking their meals together. It's good to fellowship over food, but that's not breaking bread. Apostolic teaching, I told you, they were preaching the Lord Jesus. They weren't just talking about Bible stuff. They weren't just pumping people with information. Hey, would you like to know a few facts about the Torah? There's a time and a place for that, but you can't get to heaven with information. You're going to get to heaven through revelation of Jesus Christ and confession and repentance of your sins. Amen? Amen. Apostolic teaching is Father-centered, Christ-exalting, and Spirit-moving. Apostolic ministry is planted on who God is. Apostles and prophets, because they reveal Christ, don't want to talk about God. They want to talk to God and reveal God. Let me ask you a question. The four living creatures, one of them leaves the throne of God, shows up here, grabs the microphone. What do they talk about? <laughs> what do they talk about? God. The four living creatures aren't looking at each other around the throne of God and saying, isn't he worthy? That's what we do in church, though. 
Here's our third person worship songs. He is worthy. No, God, you are worthy. They're not around the throne saying he's worthy. They're saying you alone are worthy. They're not talking to each other about the Lord. They're seeing him and worshiping him directly. We need the living creatures. We need the elders. We need the scene in heaven to capture our hearts. There's no entertainment in heaven. But there is God revealed in all his glory and beauty and majesty. You like beautiful singing and operas and orchestras and oh, I can't wait for heaven. How much more? The beauty, the majesty, the holiness, the, the, the honor. It's going to be so wonderful and so splendid we can't even begin to dream. I cringe when people talk about heaven and it sounds like a better version of earth. It's like, wow, that sounds like earth with no suffering. That's not heaven. <laughs> like we're, we're going to sit around and we're, we're going to play pinball. And our, and our thumbs won't hurt after an hour. I'm just as surprised by that statement as you are. It's like, wow, well, I can't wait to get to heaven and I don't sit around. No, you're going to get to heaven and worship. This is why there's a real problem. If you don't like worship on earth, you might not want to go to heaven. Stand up. Close your eyes. Stretch out your hands. Sing to the Lord. Because the word of God says it. The word of God teaches me how to worship. Get in touch with your emotions because God gave you them so that you could worship him with them. We got to talk about stoicism. The Holy Spirit's moving and God is pouring out His grace, but we're unmoved in body, unstirred in soul, and unprovoked in spirit. And every encounter they have with God in the Bible, they're falling down on their faces. They, they feel like they're going to die. They don't look dead. They feel like they're going to die. Because the presence, if you've ever had a dream, an encounter, a vision, I'm telling you that words won't do it justice. Number three, the ministry of apostolic churches is valuing and releasing the fivefold ministry into kingdom function. This is what apostolic New Testament churches do, they value. The fivefold ministry. And then they release them into kingdom function, especially the mobilized ministries of apostles, prophets, and evangelists. Shepherds and teachers are localized in their sphere and in their influence. They're homebody and homegrown, and God made them that way for a reason because shepherds, good pastors, your elders, they're God's insurance policy that his people get the care they deserve. God doesn't want his people neglected. He doesn't want the wounds of his people healed superficially. That's why I told you I reject pastoral ministry that sounds like coddling. That's not pastoring. That's compromise. Real pastoral ministry has confrontation in it. Like, hey man, if you keep doing this, you're going to lose your marriage. You're going to be, you're going to orphan your kids. I love you enough to tell you the truth. Do you value the fivefold ministry? I do. 
I'm grateful. The fivefold ministry is given to represent the ministry of Christ Himself. That Jesus might be seen and known in the earth. I'm grateful for the apostles and prophets and evangelists and pastors and teachers in my life whom God has connected me with, who always leave me wanting more of Jesus. Number four, equipping and mobilizing people to expand the kingdom in their sphere. This is what ministry is about. We're equipping people for the work of ministry. Know God for yourself. And then when you know God for yourself, you can influence the people around you. You can reveal Christ to them because you've seen Him first. The goal of the New Testament church is to equip and train and send out. The question is not how many can we seat. It's how many can we send. Y'all, I'm telling you, ministry is the only job where people don't like it when you work yourself out of a job. But that's what real ministry is. That's what I was taught since I was a child. Real ministers want to work themselves out of a job where people depend on God and not them. The American ministry model is you're more of a success the more people that need you. What if that's our greatest failure? Is that the people need you and they don't need God. I listen to pastors beg people, please show up. I I know you found out I'm going on vacation next week. And I'm not going to be here. Please show up. Y'all, that ain't nothing but religious hogwash. That's you revealing that people are there for you. Remember, we'll show up for a teaching. But what about the presence of the Lord? What about the honor of when we assemble, when we gather, incredible special things happen. I fellowship out of conviction, not out of convenience. Even when I'm not here, I'm in fellowship with the wider body of Christ. Somebody say amen. Amen. Or get your tomato out and get it ready. Number five. The ministry of apostolic churches. They're carrying a wider vision for kingdom expansion. That goes beyond the local church. There is more to life in the kingdom than our father's house. Say amen for your own good. We're not the only ones who love Jesus. We're not the only church that believes in fivefold ministry and the gifts of the Spirit. God forbid we develop a critical heart that says we got it right and everybody else is doing it wrong. That's far from the truth. There's a lot that we can learn and glean from how God is moving in other works and other ministries. Amen? Amen. But there's a wider vision for the expansion of the kingdom of God. This is a mark of apostolic ministry because apostles carry the panoramic perspective and apostles will think about the kingdom before they think about a congregation. Shepherds will think about the congregation. How does this affect our church? How is this going to change things here? How is this going to impact people? And we need both. Please don't hear me saying one is better than the other. We need both. But it gets really wonky when pastors do all the driving. Then ministry becomes about meeting people's needs and the church turns into a great big life group. And we lose mission and we lose focus. Y'all still here? We need them all. You know why our Father's house is a special place? Because yesterday, 
yesterday. Praise the Lord. Yesterday was awesome. Last week, we had an incredible outpouring of the Holy Spirit. We pushed back the chairs. It was tremendous. How many of you were here? If you weren't here, I hope you were sick or traveling. Um, for real. You needed to be here. God poured out the Holy Ghost. It was tremendous. At 10.15, we pushed out all the chairs. You know what happened that night? Marriage ministry. What was more important to God? Both. We need, you can have revival and marriage counseling. Amen? We don't have to pick and choose. So revival comes and God just ignores your brokenness? We need both. We want to be a ministry that reflects the fullness of the fivefold. Where you can be taught, you can be trained, you can be shepherded, you can also be sent out. The, the prophets are going to teach you how to hear the voice of the Lord. Not just tell you what God is saying, teach you how to hear what God is saying. That's real prophetic ministry. Number six. Opposing dead religious tradition and contending for a Holy Spirit outpouring. This marks apostolic ministries if you are tired of hearing about religion you are becoming religious if you are tired of being warned about what happens to people when they go through the motions you are being gripped by religious tradition we have an apathy crisis in our nation we have more people sleeping, and we need to wake up, amen? So the New Testament church lives to throw off the laziness, the apathy, and the comfort that wants to seduce us, where we're not just going through the motions, we're allowing God to move and do His thing. This is why when we gather, it never looks the same. Because we're just going to let God do His thing. We don't know sometimes. We're figuring it out. That's why we wait on the Lord because we're not in a hurry. I'm convinced that one of the reasons why God can't break out in His church is because we've already told Him everything He's going to do before we even gather. But you know what's happening all across the body of Christ? Pastors and leaders are beginning to wake up and say, you know what? God's not here. People are here. The Lord might not be with us. What do we need to do? God, how do we get your presence? And I'm telling you, be encouraged. Things are changing. People are breaking free from going through the motions and repeating cycles of sin and tradition. And the Holy Ghost is being poured out on those who are hungry. Number seven. Some mark of the ministry of apostolic churches is overcoming trials and intense opposition while refusing to become victims. True apostles are marked with suffering and they are going to challenge you to continue to take up your cross. The minute that you feel sorry for yourself, you are getting off of the Christ-likeness train. When was Jesus ever a victim? 
He was abused. He was neglected. He was mistreated. He was crucified and suffered far beyond anything that anyone in this room has ever experienced. And yet, he was never a victim of the trauma that he endured. It never became his identity. What he went through never defined him. Come on, I'm preaching to somebody this morning. Where the revelation of the Father, he knew God, that he would suffer. He was looking to the joy set before him. If you are here and you are hurting and you are suffering, God wants to help you through and comfort you along the way. He's going to get you through it. You don't have to stay stuck there. The apostles traveled in Acts 14. You know what they showed up at churches and said? Through many tribulations and trials, we must enter the kingdom of God. That was their message. Go read it in Acts 14, 22. Through many trials and tribulations, they're saying, here's the kingdom, trial, tribulation, persevere. We show up and tell people, accept Jesus and everything in your life will wrap, you're going to become a millionaire. Everything in your life will rapidly change. Everybody's going to love you. And we failed to warn people, if you really stand for Jesus, you're going to get some haters. That's right. Jesus said, woe to you when all men speak well of you. Luke 6, 26. Woe to you. Like, watch out. If everybody around you really likes you, maybe you're not with me. I'm pretty sure we're following the Jesus that got crucified. Yes. Overcome trials. Number eight. Is to restore the tabernacle of David. And these are all sermons in and of themselves. I'm just trying to give you an overview. Restoring the tabernacle of David through prophetic worship. And intercessory prayer. The tabernacle of David. Is what David built. Musicians and singers. To minister to the. He wanted God to be praised. He wanted God to be honored. David is an apostolic type in the Old Testament. He wanted to build the Lord a house. He's sitting in a house of cedar. He says, God, you're over there. The Ark of the Covenant's in a tent, but I'm in a, per- I'm in a permanent dwelling. I want to build you a house. God says it's enough that it was in your heart, but your son Solomon is going to build the house. And you know what David did? Didn't da- David didn't say, oh, man. He said, you know what, I'm going to do everything I can to help my son build the house of the Lord. I'm going to have as much of a hand and a part in it as I can play because I want God to be ministered to. David knew how to minister to the Lord. Why? Because before he became king, he learned how in the shepherd's field. We have a whole generation of people that want to slay Goliath but don't know the lion and the bear. We want to be promoted far beyond what we're ready for. And if God answered our prayers, it would destroy us. It would expose us and blow us up. My fathers in my life tell me that all success is toxic. That's good wisdom. That's the kind of stuff we need to hear. What if we chased intimacy instead of influence? I don't want to preach to more people. I want to know God for myself. Number nine. 
meeting physical and financial needs through sacrificial service and radical generosity. True New Testament churches are crazy generous. Some of you heard we gave away $174,000 last year. We gave away almost a quarter of our budget. Why? Because that's what God said. We'll give away $500,000 this year. I don't care. We will obey the Lord. It's about radical obedience and generosity. Because when God has a hold of your life, your wallet just naturally follows. Some of you have heard me say this before, but I'll repeat myself. The people that cause the most trouble in churches are those that give the least. Why? Because when you start to give and surrender your finances to the Lord, something has happened inside of you where all the drama and all the trash has gotten out of you and you become humble and faithful and obedient. Why? Because it starts right with your money. Did Jesus say you cannot serve two masters? And he didn't say God and sex. He didn't say God and fame. He said God and money. We worship God with our money. We don't worship money. The best way to get delivered from fear and greed simultaneously is give it away. You're not going to give yourself into poverty. I know of no one who regrets giving their money to the Lord who was fully surrendered. You start to see the... I'm telling you, some of you are that close to a breakthrough in your life. Surrender your finances to the Lord. And you don't want to give here, fine, but give your finances somewhere. Actually, the gifts and the talents you've been given are so that you can bless and prosper others, not you. Number 10. Impacting the surrounding region and reaching them with the gospel of the kingdom. Would you stand to your feet? begin to pray with me do whatever you need to do to see Jesus right now he's seated at the father's right hand he's ruling and reigning the nations right now he's laughing while his enemies plot against him he's not threatened he's not intimidated he's not afraid of the future he is the future Just connect with your Father. You don't need music. Whatever you need to do right now, just want you 30 seconds. Just minister to the heart of God. We're not watching other people worship. We don't need a band. Some of us need to repent for some sin that's been exposed. God, I pray that hardness of heart would break right now. Lord, I pray that the resistance that's always in this room when we preach the kingdom would be broken in Jesus' name. God, I pray that you would open blind eyes. That you would open deaf ears, O Lord. That you would heal marriages. That you would restore families. God, would you pour out your Holy Spirit beyond measure. Lord, we're asking that as it was on the day of Pentecost that you would do it again. 
and again and again. Lord, we want more of you, Holy Spirit. We need you in this place. God, I thank you that you are raising up your righteous remnant in every place. God, I pray that our Father's house would always seek your face, would always prioritize your presence first and foremost, Lord. Would you be preeminent in our midst, Jesus? Would you come to have first place in all things? God, I thank you that we're putting you back on the throne of your church, that we are enthroning you today and dethroning ourselves, that we are humbling ourselves in your presence this morning and repenting for everything that would get in the way of knowing you. God, I pray right now for hunger, for spiritual hunger. God, I pray that you would break the victim mentality that is neutering the men in this church. God, I pray that you would break off every form of self-pity and that you would bring us into endurance and perseverance. Father, I pray for the unction of the Holy Ghost to come upon your sons and your daughters. Let the spirit of prophecy, which is the testimony of Jesus, flow in this place. Every blockage break. Every hindrance now in Jesus' name fall and be broken. Let a river of the Holy Spirit flow in this house. Let the life of God team in this place. Keep praying with me. Just 30 more seconds. Let's move the heart of our Father this morning. We're pushing back. There's a resistance. There's a sleepiness. There's a heaviness. There's a silence. God, I pray that you would give us back our voice today. Lift your voice to the Lord right now, brothers and sisters. I dare you to get loud for Jesus. Stadiums are filling for NFL football today. People are going out into freezing cold for football. Can you get loud for Jesus? Can you surrender your life to Jesus? King of kings and Lord of lords. Oh! God, awaken the groan in your church. We've been apathetic. We've been passive. We've wanted it easy, but God, now we just want you. Forgive us for playing games and pointing the finger. Forgive us for our cowardice and our fear. Would you fill us right now with boldness? If you want to receive a baptism of boldness, I just want you to stretch your hands towards the Lord. I'm telling you, fear is breaking right now. Some of you would have been cringing if your family was in this room. And that's what needs to break right now. God, we ask for boldness in Jesus' name. We ask for the unashamed testimony that Jesus is alive. That He is King. That He is God. That He is risen. You are risen from the dead. Would you remove shame right now? Fear, go. Holy Spirit, would you flow again? 
We're turning in compromise. We're trading in apathy. We're receiving boldness and power from on high. God, I thank You that this region will know Jesus Christ. That this county will hear that Jesus is Lord to the glory of God the Father. I thank You, Lord, that sin is being confronted. That every agenda of the enemy is breaking. God, we will not bow to the agenda of the devil. We will not cower to the LGBTQ community. We will love them and tell them the truth. We will not look the other way at gender confusion and dysphoria. We will not partner with confusion. We will bring clarity and conviction. God, purify your church. Lord, start with us. Start with us. If you need to get down on this altar, I want you to come right now. If you feel compelled by the Lord to come and pray and seek the face of God right now. If you need to go, be blessed. Be released. We're just going to pray for a few more minutes.